Okay, there we go. If you're watching my replay, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. <clears throat> so I want to uh, pick up a little bit where I left off. Won't be able to do that or did see it. Um, I'm talking about two different spiritual approaches when I talk about the right hand path, the left hand path. And the concept of the right-hand path, left-hand path, goes all the way back to Sanskrit. I go into all of that in last week's message. I don't want to relay all that foundation again. But it's why the Catholic Church would slap your hand if you were writing with your left hand, wanted you to write with your right hand, because it was considered sinister or evil. <clears throat> in the Sanskrit, the word for the left-hand path is the path of awakening. It's... In, in Sanskrit, it's to be the opposite of the sheep. It's, it's to be the opposite of going with the herd mentality. It's to awaken. I talked about, uh, Carl Jung and, uh, I talked about the persona, how the persona is reinforced by the community. It's reinforced by the family. It's reinforced by the culture. And what prevents us from stepping out of the persona oftentimes and what creates the shadow is this idea, what are the neighbors going to think? What, what's the family going to think? What's the church going to think? And so the idea or the concept of the left-hand path is the person who awakens and is able to step out of that persona and live the life they were meant to live, pursue the life of their choosing. Um to do their will contrary to whether or not it fits the socially accepted norms that they've been raised in and that has been around them. So that's the left-hand path. The right-hand path is the path of devotion. It's the path of community. It's the path of uh, uh, following the rules. It's a path of obedience to spiritual authority and to a religious pattern and paradigm. Now, somebody may say, well, I'm not conforming to this particular group or this particular religion or this particular set of ideas and then think they're on the left-hand path, yet if they are conforming to a different set of ideas, um, following a different guru, so to speak, or a different pastor or shepherd or leader or whatever, then often, or, 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 yeah, <laughs> then oftentimes they are still on the right-hand path. Either path is legitimate, but the biggest difference is on the right-hand path, both within Christian circles, Christian mysticism, and New Age circles and New Age mysticism, is it comes from sun worship, S-U-N worship, and this whole idea of being a light worker. I developed this last week, but again, I'm trying to respect the fact that some people didn't see that. This whole idea of being just a light worker comes, is rooted in ancient archetypal sun worship, and it was believed that the sun was the portal that led to the heavens. And that if someone would pass through the sun, they would be disintegrated. They would be burned up. So here's where the baptism of fire comes from. Here's where the idea of losing your life in order to find your life, take up your cross and follow me. All that stuff is right-hand path. It's a path of devotion to a deity or, or to a group outside yourself. It's a losing of the self. It's a sacrificing of the self. It's a giving up of the self. In fact, self-sacrifice is uh, seen as the highest virtue. Um, uh, sacrificing self in order to serve others. Um, this idea of unconditional love for everybody, everywhere. These are high ideals. I'm working in the light. I'm spreading unconditional love. 
um, self-sacrificing. All of these ideas are right-hand path. Left-hand path, so right-hand path has to do with the community. Left-hand path is all about the development of the self. It's about the discovery and the cultivation and the unique expression of the soul and of the self within the context of the community. But the left-hand path puts self first. The right-hand path says, I'm going to go with the community. I'm going to go with the flow. I'm going to follow the teaching. I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to follow the master. I'm going to sacrifice to the deity. I'm going to obey the authorities. The left-hand path says, I'm putting myself first. Uh, uh, I am the Lord my God, and I shall have no other gods before me, <laughs> as Derek Day says. <clears throat> so the right-hand path is the path of, of self-development, self-cultivation. Um, you could even say, to some degree, self-preservation, but really, it's identifying your unique bliss, your unique talents and abilities, your unique expression, and then bringing it to its highest pitch. Uh, identifying the divine spark that is in you, the divine that is in you, cultivating that and bringing it to its highest pitch. <clears throat> so, yeah, I wanna, I'm, I'm gonna save that for later, hopefully get into that. So when I talk about the mind, I wanna talk about the mind because one of the teachings that goes with the right hand path is this disillusion this dissolving of the ego, of the sense of self, this dissolving of the sense of self in order to experience oneness with all it is. <clears throat> and so the primary goal, if you will, of that form of spirituality is to lose your sense of separation, the sense of self and separation. Lose the identity of yourself or yourself in separation, or to realize, as some say, that there is no self, <laughs> that there's only the one thing expressing itself as a self or operating through you, and that this idea that you are a separate self is part of the illusion um, and unreality. And I can't think, I'm just going to be honest with you, I can't think of a bigger, well, I want to be nice. I'm trying not to cuss today. <laughs> but I can't think of a bigger way to, to just mess with somebody's head, somebody's thinking, and send them on Mission Impossible. But I've talked about that. So let's talk about the mind from the left-hand path. Because the left-hand path says, no, I don't want to uh, uh, dissolve myself or lose myself or pretend that there is a self that doesn't exist. Uh, because a, a, lot of, a lot of the teachings that are coming through sort of new age spirituality, light working, consciousness community, is uh, is just flat, makes no sense. I mean, it's just plain nonsense, e even logically. There's so many logical errors in it. And I don't mean to be ugly about it, but I'm just tired of people pursuing things that they think because it sounds good, because it sounds profound, they buy into it. Now, I'm not saying everything on the right-hand path is wrong. I'm not saying every teaching about the ego is wrong. I just want to give you a different perspective about the mind and how the mind works. So let's talk about some basic neuroscience, some basic things about how the mind works. Your mind receives information, first of all, through the five physical senses. Uh, 
sight, sound, touch, taste, and smell, right? All that information comes in to the brain. And then <clears throat> it comes in, you know, through the eyes, the, the receptors. Um, let's just take sight. Light comes in through the receptors. That information is processed by the brain. The brain then creates the image that you see. Same thing with touch, same thing with hearing. So basically, you could say vibrations are hitting your sensory organs. And then the brain takes all that information and sorts it out and creates the reality of the world in which you live. So the picture that you're seeing is a picture being given to you and created by your brain. The sounds that you're hearing are sounds that are being created and given to you by your brain. Uh, what you're feeling, you're feeling in your brain, even though you're feeling it in your body. So that's a basic way that the brain works. And by the time you're seven years old, you have developed, <clears throat> probably even before that, but definitely by the time you're seven. <laughs> I want to say by the time you're three, uh, you develop body awareness by the time you're three. So you see a child, you know, baby putting their their foot in the mouth and all that stuff. And yeah, they're developing body awareness before three. But you but you develop like a crystallized sense of who you are in time and space, and that becomes set and fixed in the brain. The brain holds onto that, and again, that whole idea is created in the brain. It's not just thinking. This is something that is hardwired into us by neuroscience that is neurologically uh, important. <laughs> it is important that we have this sense of time and space in this body and being a separate self. And trying to get past that and get around that, get away from that, really is to just be a, sci a science denier. I mean, a, just a basic neuroscience biological denial is what that is. So you're receiving information. And the vast majority of this information is being filtered out. It's being deleted or it's being generalized or it's being distorted. You're seeing distortions. That's just at the level of sensory input. That's before you even begin to think. So you get all this information. Things are deleted. Things are generalized. Things are distorted. And then through words and through concepts, through internal representations, internal movies, internal visualizations, imagination, internal sounds, self-talk, Internal kinesthetic feelings that we call emotions. Your emotion is simply an internal feeling. You never had an emotion that you didn't feel somewhere in your body. So that's your construct of your inward reality. And then we have a mental commentary or thoughts about what we have experienced. So let's say that I go out and I go to the beach and I lay on the sand. And so I'm receiving this experience of the, you know, being on the sandy beach, the ocean waves, the smell of the salt air, the feel of the humidity and the heat, the, what I'm seeing with the sand 
and the ocean. All of that experience is in my head. All of that experience is being created and picked up for me by my senses and produced for me by my brain. And then I'm commenting on it. Oh, this is wonderful. I feel so relaxed. I wish instead of having just a few days here, I'd have had a week here. Now, watch what I did. I commented on my experience in my brain. This feels so good. I'm so relaxed. So I'm thinking on one level about my sensory experiences. Then I said, I wish I had another week to be here instead of just a few days. Now I'm commenting on my commentary or I'm thinking about my thinking. So now there's my, my initial level of thinking is I'm relaxed. This is wonderful. And then I think about that thinking. This isn't going to be long enough. This feels so good. This isn't going to be long enough. I'm going to need this for a longer period of time. And then I might uh, think about my thinking again. So I just saw Marianne, you commented you're judging the experience. Actually, um, I, I, I would push back on that just a little bit. I would say it's not judging, it's describing. Um, I'm describing my experience. Now, I am judging it on the level that I'm saying, oh, I love this. Oh, this feels good. But again, if I'm saying it feels good, it's because I'm having a kinesthetic sensation. And so I'm trying to describe that kinesthetic sensation as pleasant. So it, judgment comes later. And, and I don't want to split hairs on this, but it is important. Judgment comes a little bit later. And I know I said, I, you know, I used the word good and stuff. So there's probably a little bit of judgment in there. But I really prefer to think about judging in terms of like from a uh, from a moral perspective and describing as coming from something else that's outside the framework of judging. So the way I would use the term judging, you're not judging unless there's a moral perspective, unless there's a crime committed, unless there's someone to be punished. Uh, then then we get into to judging. But anyway, I don't want to split hairs on that. I just want to clarify how I'm using terms. Now, so this is how your brain works. Now, somewhere in there, through all your life experiences, you and I develop a self-concept. We develop a self-concept. And we don't just develop one self-concept. We develop many self-concepts. We develop many schemas, if you will, or patterns of thinking about ourselves. We reflect back on ourselves. It's what, it's what separates us from the, the animal species, because they have a very limited ability to reflect back on themselves. We have a lot of ability to reflect back on ourselves. And so by this reflecting back and, yes, judging comes into it and describing and learning our preferences, learning what we prefer, learning what we don't prefer, learning what makes us feel good, what doesn't make us feel good, all this stuff leads to the self-concept. So in one sense, when someone says the self does not exist, it may be an accurate statement, but it needs to be nuanced a little bit. Because I certainly know I exist. I certainly know that you guys exist. And the self-concept is merely my understanding of my experience of myself. My understanding of my experience of myself in various different contexts and seasons of life and situations makes up my different various self-context. Self -context. So I have beliefs about self. 
I also have beliefs about other people. Generalized beliefs about other people. Hard to get around. More specific beliefs about other people that I know and that I have experience with. So I may have a generalized belief that people are good. I may have a generalized belief that people are smart and altruistic. I may have a generalized belief that people are stupid. <laughs> I may have a generalized belief that people are bad. Uh, but then in my personal interactions, I'll have beliefs about specific people that either fit my generalized mold or don't fit my generalized mold. And I'll think, well, isn't she a lovely person? Isn't he a really intelligent person? And so I've got just so much going on in the brain that's helping me to navigate and experience my life. Now, here's where it gets tricky. So then I have beliefs about the world. I have beliefs about God. I have beliefs about spirituality. Even the belief that you should not have beliefs is a belief. Even a belief that says you shouldn't have belief, you should have an experience is a belief. <laughs> Even the belief in oneness is a belief, right? The belief in an ego or needing to get rid of the ego or needing to develop the self, it's all beliefs. So we have these beliefs, we have these paradigms, we have these patterns, we have these ways of thinking. And without intentionally doing it, we lay that as the uh, oh, uh, I lost the word. Uh, we lay that out there as the pattern, I guess. Um, it's not really the word I'm looking for. But we project it onto the world. And then we filter. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm trying to say. We lay it out there as a filter through which our experiences then come. So every experience that we have subconsciously then is filtered through this massive belief system that we have going on inside of us. And at the end of the day, the most important one is the beliefs you have about yourself. <laughs> Excuse me. At the end of the day, the most important, <laughs> the most important one is the beliefs you have about yourself because you take yourself with you everywhere you go. Now, we've been taught, and I talked about this last week in Eckhart Tolle's book, uh, The Power of Now. He talks about identifying not with the thinker, but with the observer. In other words, if I have self-talk, if I have self-talk, then there's a voice in my head that's commenting upon me and commenting upon who I am and what I'm doing and how well I'm doing it, all this different stuff. Now, I can identify with the speaker in my head, uh, or I can get lost in the thoughts. I can think that I'm the speaker, so to speak. Or I can do, I can step back and he talks about listening to the speaker or observing the thinker or watching the pain body. Now this is not a, this is a great skill to have that unfortunately a lot of people aren't taught, but this is not a profound spiritual thing by any means. This is something that psychology books 101 We'll call a metacognition, a metacognition, the ability to step back from your feelings. The word meta meaning to go above, cognition basically meaning thinking or thought. You can look it up, metacognition. It's not any big secret. It's not something people haven't known about. It's not something that hasn't been known about in the West. It's very, very basic, simple thing that we all do. You do a metacognition, you step back, 
and examine your thinking or you think about your thinking. But now here's the thing. Whether you're identifying with the speaker or you're identifying with the listener, you are still in an ego state. You are still identifying. You still are maintaining a sense of self. Whether you identify with the thinker or the observer, you are still, you, you are identified by identifying by attaching to the observer <laughs> rather than the thinker you're still attaching, are you not? You're still experiencing a sense of self, are you not? So you don't get out of the sense of self by detaching from, because that's the other part of the right-hand path is it's all about detachment, detaching from the world, detaching from desire, detaching from all this stuff, right? So you don't get rid of attachment by attaching to the observer. You don't get rid of the sense of self or the ego by attaching to the listener or by attaching, you see what I'm saying? Ultimately, there is some experience of the sense of self. And if you lose the experience of the sense of self, then you lose the experience altogether. If you say, I had an experience of oneness, you just use the word ego in the Greek. You just identified yourself as the experiencer. So therefore, you did not fully experience oneness, because to fully experience oneness is to lose the I altogether. That's what you're taught. That's that's what people teach in the right-hand path. That's what they put out there. That's what a lot of Buddhism and Hinduism and stuff is all about. So then they'll say, well, the experience is no thing or nothing, but then you would have no recollection of it. So just the fact that you can recall some experience that you call oneness means that you had a self to experience the oneness. And this is why I say this just is you're chasing your tail, in my opinion. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be critical. I just, I just, I can't make it work. The left-hand path makes more sense to me. The left-hand path is the path of self-actualization. The left-hand path identifies the fact that, yes, we have programmings. Yes, we have a sense of self. And that sense of self is simply a mental program. Yes, we have an ego or a self-concept, and that self-concept does not exist anywhere except in the mind. And yet, thoughts are things. Thoughts are energy. So just because it exists in the mind does not mean that it's not real, right? But but the left-hand path recognizes that, and then the left-hand path invites you to challenge those things. In fact, if you're truly walking the left-hand path, you challenge just about everything. You challenge just about everything within yourself, your thoughts, your ideas, your beliefs, what you've been told. You're constantly asking the question, how do you know? How do I know that I know? Because you're aware of the fact that this is the template. That's the word I was looking for earlier. That this screen of beliefs is the template that you're putting on the universe and then really distorting, deleting, generalizing, and fitting your experience to match the pattern of the template that you have laid out. Does that make sense? So you challenge those things, not for the purpose of getting rid of them, but for the purpose of seeing, is there a resonance? Is there an internal match? So... 
my approach, now the left-hand path is a personal journey. That's the other thing about it. It's a personal journey. It's it's your journey. You getting to know yourself. And you are a very different self than the self that I am. And so if I try to say, you have to believe my dogmas, or your path has to look like mine, or you have to think like mine, then I'm taking a right-hand path approach. The left-hand path says everybody's different. So your path, life, journey, expression, uniqueness is going to look totally different than mine. And if we don't have those distinctions, now there can be similarities, but if we don't have those distinctions, then perhaps we're not on the left-hand path, perhaps we're doing something else. So, the left-hand path works on the self differently, not trying to get rid of the self, but trying to change the self or bring about changes in the self that are in accordance with your true will, that are in accordance, in accordance with your highest self or your highest will, that are in accordance, if you will, with your divine self. So, it recognizes false selves, false in the sense that... <clears throat> It's made up. So this is really helpful with negative thinking, right? If you are a person who grew up not feeling validated at all, if you're a person who was traumatized or abused, if you're a person who uh, gets really bad social anxiety, um, if you're a person who lives with a lot of shaming beliefs or a lot of limiting beliefs, feel like I'm not enough, I mean, they're all kind of the same, these little rascals, these little uh, parasites or viruses, if you will, not, I shouldn't say viruses, in this uh, cl- <laughs> cultural climate. Um, I'm meaning like a computer virus, something that gets inside your brain that believes like, I'm worthless, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm powerless, I have to be this because I'm a woman, I have to be that because I'm a man, I have to be this certain way. I have to be that certain way. I am not enough. I'm not very intelligent. I'm stupid. I'm dumb. I'm an idiot. I'm a knucklehead. See, all that stuff is the result of feedback and experiences and stuff. And so by recognizing that as your, as part of your self-concept, as part of your thinking, then you can step back. You can take that metacognition like what Eckhart Tolle talks about and other spiritual teachers, you can make that metacognition, you can step back, you can look at that thinking, and then you can decide, is this thinking serving me? Is this thinking blessing me? Is it helping me? Does it fit with my uh, self-actualization? And if you say no, then you go to work to change that belief. And there's as many ways to change beliefs as there is, People, probably. Because I, I can hear some of you, well, what do I do? What do I do with that? Well, first of all, you don't have to believe everything you think. You are not your mind. You are not even your own opinion of yourself. In fact, your own opinion of yourself, oftentimes, is the least trustworthy, particularly until you start doing this kind of work. So you can start questioning that belief. You can, you can start uh, examining it and exploring it. Where does this come from within me? 
how did this belief get here? Who told me that I wasn't enough? Not enough compared to what or compared to whom? Who determines the measure of what is enough? You just start questioning, challenging, see, challenging that belief, questioning that belief, going after that belief. And then thinking to yourself, what do I want to believe instead? A lot of this stuff is not grounded in absolute truth, lightness or darkness, like we like to think about it. A lot of it is just meaning making that we've done. And in that sense, the meaning making is very relative. So instead of asking yourself, is this true or is this false? Change the question. Is this serving me? Is this working for me? Is this helping me? Is this benefiting my life? Is this producing for me? In fact, it's probably wise before you introspect, go inside and look at your thinking, introspect, before you introspect, you should probably retrospect. You should probably look back. So let's say that one of these beliefs comes up, I am not enough. Okay, that comes up. That's introspection. But I want to include some retro. I want to include some retrospection. How has, and I would do it this way, how has this belief that I am not enough impacted my life? When I look back, living with this belief, and let me tell you something, playing the victim can be a very powerful role. <laughs> in relation that are giving you what you want in certain contexts and certain relationships. So when I'm saying, is this belief empowering you? Is this belief serving you? These are not rhetorical questions where the answer is supposed to be no. No, of course not. Of course not. The belief that I'm not enough is not serving me. Except when I'm faced with something that makes me scared about the future, except when I'm faced with the unknown and I start to feel anxious, then I tell myself that I'm not enough and I don't have to feel anxious about taking that promotion at work. I don't have to feel anxious about learning a new skill. I don't have to feel anxious about trying a new thing because I'm just, I'm not very good at that stuff. And so I'm not enough to take that on. So yeah, yeah, that does empower me. That does serve me. That does protect me from feeling things that I don't want to feel. So these aren't rhetorical questions. You start asking yourself, where in my life has this, how has it affected me? How has it things? Maybe it's prevented me from engaging in social media. Maybe you're a single person, um, recently divorced person, and you are too afraid to go on a dating site or too afraid to go on a date with somebody. And so... You look at your photo, you know, let's say you're getting on one of the dating apps or something. You put your photo out there, the way I look, right? And so that belief, I don't like the way I look, or that belief, I'm not enough, then prevents you. You start to feel anxious, start to feel nervous. Somebody's going to reach out. Then I may actually have to go on a date. Then I'm going to feel really nervous and anxious on the date. So I'm just going to tell myself whatever I need to tell myself. I'm just going to tell myself I'm content being single. Maybe you are, but maybe you're just telling yourself that to not have to deal with going on the date. 
or whatever the case may be, making whatever kind of change in your life. So these disempowering beliefs that prevent us from making changes in our life keep us comfortable. (laughs) And so they do work for us and they do serve us in various different ways. And this is what's so great about the left-hand path is that you become your own meaning maker. Like, And this is where, back to what Mary said about judgment, this is why I wanted to make the distinction between describing my experience and judging my experience. Because if I start to judge something from the standpoint of one thing is better than something else, when I'm doing this kind of work, in other words, if I'm going to be my own meaning maker, then I have to be able to let go of my judgments. Maybe the juice just isn't worth the squeeze, so to speak, for me right now to face my performance anxiety and take the promotion at work or my social anxiety and go out on a date or go out and learn meet new people or whatever the case may be. Like maybe it's not worth it to me. So I don't judge that as being wrong. I don't judge that as being bad. I judge that as something that's working for me right now that I want to keep. I'm not laying a moral stigma or a social stigma to that behavior because that's going to prevent the fullness of myself expression. Uh, it's going to leave me in guilt. So again, I, I distinguish judgment. Judging is that which either leaves us in guilt or helps us to assuage guilt. But at the end of the day, there's a crime being committed. Somebody needs to be punished. Somebody needs to be punished. Somebody needs to pay. Not a, not a literal crime, but just what we think of as morally wrong. I hope that makes sense. I feel like I'm just totally rambling <laughs> this morning. <laughs> So let's say you decide, yeah, this belief that I'm not enough is preventing me from having my best life. It's preventing me from living a life of abundance. It's preventing me from having joy. It's preventing me from having new experiences. It's keeping me feeling weak and small. And so it's it's just preventing this full expression of my divine self. So then you say to yourself, so I no longer want this belief in my life, but it may still run. <clears throat> In your thinking. So then you might ask yourself, what do I want to believe instead? Now, you can weaken a belief by just questioning it, by just challenging it. Let me me come back. So I, I find out it's not serving me. I don't want it. So then I just start asking questions. Where did this belief come from? Who told me I wasn't enough? Where did I first hear this? And then invariably there's going to be memories, there may be traumas, there may be experiences in childhood, being bullied on the playground, a teacher scolding you, a parent shaming you, trying to motivate you. And you begin to realize, okay, these are the voices that are supporting that, that are strengthening that, right? So then I'm going to keep asking questions. Well, that teacher told me that I couldn't learn to do math. Well, why should I care what that teacher thinks? Well, obviously... In the third grade, I care what that teacher thinks. That teacher's got a lot of power over my life. That teacher is the authority in my life. That teacher's evaluation of me determines whether or not I get to watch TV when I get home or whether I'm grounded. All that kind of stuff, right? So then I may have to claim back my power. I may still have a little boy, little third grade boy in me that didn't have power. And I need to uh, educate that part of myself. Um, and so I do that kind of inward work. Again, there's no right or wrong way. This is everybody's individual path. 
I might explore what's the emotion that goes on with the belief that I'm not enough at math that I got from my teacher in the third grade. <laughs> what's the emotion? What's the feeling? And try to pick an actual emotion like fear, anger, disgust, joy, whatever. And then, uh, so, so you're, you're, you're moving, you're, you're shifting and changing that part of your mental map, if you will. If you look at it this way, from the perspective of the map is not the territory, your cognitions are the map by which you govern your life. The territory could be very different. So you can update your map. You can change your map. So if the belief I am not enough, something I want to get rid of, something I want to change, then by questioning, by challenging that belief, I'm already adjusting and rewriting my map. So by saying, well, who said this? I'm questioning, who was the map maker here? Who was the map maker here? Was it society? Was it culture? Was it my family? Was it the church? Was it all of the above? Let's say it's the church. You're not enough. You're born in sin, rotten to the core. Dirty, rotten sinner headed straight for hell. Okay. Well, the church made that map for me. Who made that map for the church? Who told them they were dirty and rotten? Who knows, right? Maybe tracing this. Where does this go back to? This goes back to, you know, John Calvin, St. Augustine. They were the map makers and they were flawed human beings. And do I want to, uh, you know, God wasn't the map maker. God made you. You know, let's say God doesn't make junk. Oh, but you're a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> it's so twisted. Anyway, you get it. So you start challenging and questioning these things and uh, pushing back on these things. And then you get to, what do I want to believe instead? I don't know. Somebody believes I'm not enough. What, what do you want to believe instead of? I am enough. Well, that's kind of flimsy because enough for what? <laughs> it's too open-ended, right? Um, so I'm not sure that would be a good solid belief to replace it with. Um, perhaps you want to replace it with the belief, I am unique. I'm unique. I'm special. I'm worthy. What, whatever. It's an individual thing, right? But, but take time with this stuff. Like we will work on everything else except ourselves. We will work on everything else except our thinking. And this is where the left-hand path differs so much from the right-hand path because the right-hand path, uh, there is no self. Just, it's all an illusion. Just attached to the observer in your mind rather than the thoughts in your mind. You're still attaching. They don't tell you that, but you're, you're just detaching, but you're actually attaching to the observer. Um, just do all that stuff. And, and it's all an illusion and nothing is real is spiritual bypass on steroids. You are not really engaging yourself. You're not really engaging and developing in life. It's giving you a means of spiritual bypassing. So we'll work on all kinds of stuff. We'll work on our yards. We'll work on our houses, home improvement projects. We will work on uh, 
projects at work. We'll work on getting a job. We'll work on, we'll work on planning a vacation. <laughs> we will, uh, work on playing, you know, having people over playing games, whatever, planning parties, hosting things. But uh, my mom used to work for hours to host events and parties in our home and she loved to do that. We spend very little time, often time, we'll work to convince other people that we're right. <laughs> but we spend very little time doing this kind of work on ourselves, working on ourselves, realizing that I am my own workshop. Remember from the tarot deck I showed you a few weeks ago, the magician card, the the four suits, the pentacles, the swords, the wands, <clears throat> and the cups represent four aspects of your inner self. And the magician works to bring about change within the self according to will. So spending time realizing what is your self-concept? Who are you? What do you want to develop? What resonates with you? And how do I do that? I follow my bliss. I follow my bliss. I give myself permission to say, if it's bringing me bliss, if it's bringing me joy, if it's bringing me real happiness, then I have a right to pursue it as long as it's not illegal, right? <laughs> because if it's illegal, then that's going to not be good for your future self. That's not going to lead to happiness for your future self. But really beyond that, um, you know, developing and following your bliss developing your own beliefs and giving yourself the freedom and the liberty to do that. That's the left-hand path. Let's see. I'm going to look at a few of these comments. Hi, Sarah. Sarah Pat P says, uh, your brain is like a small library with big, heavy books that change 24-7. Like one book is memory, and the highlighted is the ones you remember. The, the worm have hate words on them and implant on that page, so it changes that memory to hate to hate memory. A good, good point. Uh, Jeanette says, I like that I'm my own meaning maker. Chris says, thanks for the clarification. <laughs> you're welcome, Chris. I, I, oh, you're replying to Sarah. Okay, great. Um, Chris says, we like your rambling. Claim back your power. What's the emotion associated with the belief? Um, Aaron says, hockey pucks don't usually have a lectern. <laughs> hockey pucks don't usually have a lectern or forum for appeal to engage. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean by that, Aaron, but I'll go back and look and see if maybe you're responding to something else. But, yeah, they <laughs> they don't have lecterns for sure. All right. I was a little bit late. Um, I don't know. I feel like I just rambled today. I hope it was helpful. I hope it was beneficial. I'm just trying to, like, provide some alternative stuff out there. Like I said, I, that I don't hear a lot of people talking about. Uh, I was a little bit harsher today, a little bit more critical today on the right-hand path than I want to be. Um, so I will get a chance to work on that within myself this week. Uh, so if you're, you know, taking a right-hand path or incorporating both the left and right-hand path, uh, and I offended you with that, please forgive me. Not my intention, just my misspeaking. 
Um, but otherwise, man, God bless you. Namaste, as they say.